Welcome to Cane and Bound Podcast, episode number 57. I'm Tom Barthel, serving as your host for this episode, also serving as a pastor at a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. We'll begin with a mission blog update. A mission blog update from the Wells Mission Blog. This post was published on January 12 of 2014. It's titled, Sharing the Message. Pastor Doug Weiser serves as a Wells liaison to sister churches in Nigeria. Weiser writes about youth rallies in Nigeria. They started arriving on Thursday afternoon. Young people from a variety of parishes and congregations all around Christ the King Lutheran Church in Nigeria. Lutheran youth are not only the future of the church in Nigeria, they are the outreach evangelists of the present. While young people in some places need entertaining, these young Christians get together to work. They entertain themselves and delight their guests in the process. Youth are the unmarried people of the CKLCN, up to about the age of 25. They've borrowed or rented cars and vans. They've crammed more young men and women into their transport than you can imagine. Seeing them unfold and climb out of their vans is like watching a circus clown car. But these youths are not clowning around. They arrive on the Thursday of the chosen weekend for their national youth rally. The site is one of the congregations which the youth and church leaders have decided needs enhanced outreach. As they gather, toting their meager packs of clothing, instruments, music, sound, equipment, and supplies, they assemble in the host church for songs and dances to express their joy in the Lord Jesus. Finally, it's generator off, lights out, and everyone bunks down on the church pews or the floor. Friday and Saturday are long days and evenings of activity. The mornings are for study and worship, the afternoons for fanning out through the village or city, inviting people to the evening sessions. Maybe some football or soccer competition. Evenings offer more worship, preaching, singing contests, biblical drama, and a lot of music and dancing. Sunday brings the climax of their praise to God with everyone gathered. They sing, dance their offerings, enjoy their youth choirs, and hear the word of God, all while making their newest friends from the community feel welcome in the body of believers. The entire youth association of the CKLCN gathers like this once a year on a weekend near Reformation Day. In addition, the National Youth joined the entire church for December Synod Convention at the headquarters and for an August Mid-Year Convention at another chosen church in need of an evangelism boost. To the national rallies, add monthly district or area rallies. These activities are much the same as the Reformation Rally. Answering the question as to why people actually come to the evening sessions and Sunday service, their answer was simple. In most churches, people hear sermons about doing good works to earn salvation. But in the Lutheran Church, they love to hear the salvation by God's grace. After almost every national youth evangelism event, the host congregation reports a healthy increase in the size of the next adult church membership class. Their enthusiastic celebration of faith and outreach really does work. All praise be to our Lord. To find this blog post and other blog posts for missions around the world, visit blogs.wells.net slash missions. Said I Wasn't, performed by Branches Band.
talking and I keep singing and I keep shouting what the Lord has done for me, for me. Said I wasn't going to sing about it, but I, no, no, I, no, 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 I, said I wasn't going to sing about it, but I, what the Lord has done for me. Gonna shout about it, but I said I wasn't gonna shout about it, but I what the Lord has done for me, for me. You ought to be Rebuked by the Godless. We continue reading Genesis 20, starting at verse 8. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. When God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. It doesn't fly, Abraham. The excuses he puts forward for his lie. There is no fear of God in this place. No fear of God? Does he fear and love and trust in God, the God who gave him so many promises of protection and love? Besides, she is really my sister. It's only a deception, not a lie. The ugly part of this is both that Abraham repeated the same sin he had in the past, lying about his wife for his own personal gain, and he's rebuked by the ungodly. The unbelieving Abimelech ends up chastising chastising Abraham for lying. But once again, the incredible mercy of God stands above the sin of man. 
God had kept Abraham's lie from becoming what Abraham had almost allowed, something which would cause doubt about the promised Savior. It was now less than a year to the fulfillment of Sarah's promised son being born to her. How could Abraham allow another man to even have the opportunity to go near her? But God would not allow for uncertainty in any of what he promised. The son to be born would be just as promised, an offspring of Abraham through his wife Sarah. And that son was born to take every lie, every deception, every blemish. You see, Abraham goes on his way, blessed once again, not because Abimelech bought his excuse for the lie, but because God had brought Abimelech down to his knees. Abraham was blessed despite his sinful lies, despite the fact that he wasn't shining like a star in the universe before the unbelieving world, despite his ill reputation with Abimelech. It's still by grace that the promised son would come, and the promised son would come in grace for all. For those who hold up Abraham as some model of faith, as a faith means to be one who does simply good works, they miss the point. Faith means trusting in God and his grace and his undeserved gift of love. For you who believe and trust in him, all of your guilt, your lies are removed, your sins forgiven, and you walk, like Abraham, blessed because of the grace of God. God's Word for You is shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 18, verses 1 to 4. This will now be Bildad speaking, Bildad the Shuhite. Bildad's comments and Job's response, which will be chapter 19, are the center of this dialogue part of the book, the first part of the book. And in many ways, they are the theological center of the book overall. The author's craft and the Holy Spirit's message to us cannot be overstated in this central message. There is a Redeemer for us who gives us hope that transcends any pain and suffering that sin has ever brought into the world. So Job 18, verse 1, Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, As we have seen, remember that Bildad was a Shuhite, perhaps the closest relative in the book to any members of the children of Israel, Shua, was the youngest son of Abraham and Keturah, the wife that he married after Sarah died. Sarah had died in about 2029 BC. Abraham died in about 1991 BC, 38 years later. He and Keturah had a long and happy marriage together. Bildad's short speech is just 21 verses. It's so powerful that it will draw out Job's most powerful reply. Let's look at verses 2 to 4. When will you end these speeches? Be sensible, then we can talk. Why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger, is the earth to be abandoned for your sake? Or must the rocks be moved from their place? Well, okay, he's impatient. He's offended. You can, I, don't have to tell, I don't have to tell you that he's angry. Bildad is lashing out at Job. We need to be careful when we use the word offend, though. Job offended Bildad because Job stood his ground and insisted that he wasn't wrong. Bildad doesn't actually say he's offended here, but he talks about why he is stupid in Job's sight. And his words sound very similar to Christians who disagree about a matter of the Bible's teaching. We can offend 
in the larger sense when that happens, to offend to most people in the world is to say something that causes somebody to be uncomfortable or angry. For example, it would be uh, probably be very uh, offensive to a man like uh, the late Osama bin Laden if his family were to all become Christian. But in the narrow sense, the term offend means to call someone to fall into sin because of something that I say or do or fail to say or do. Now that could happen if I, a Christian, were seen or heard taking the Lord's name in vain. That might make someone else think that, oh, if, if, if Smith does it, then it's okay to break the second commandment. And I would have caused that person to fall into sin. Then I would be the cause of the offense in the narrow sense, which the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 says is a stumbling block to the weak. That doesn't mean that any controversy over a religious matter, though, is a sense or a, a, is a cause of offense. If, if my church uses the version of the Lord's Prayer found in the NIV in our public worship, then it can be a source of irritation to some if we're not using the King James Lord's Prayer, but it doesn't cause them to sin and it doesn't offend in the narrow or scriptural sense. Bildad is irritated, even angered by Job's stubbornness, but that doesn't mean that Job was wrong. Job maintained that no specific sin of his had caused his suffering. That bashed into Bildad's traditional view that if you're having a bad day, you must have done a bad thing. What neither man knew was that the devil himself had caused Job's suffering and that the Lord had permitted this to happen as a test. We're tested every day. There are many, many people near you who are poor and who really don't know how to manage their incomes or their debts. Those things aren't sinful. There are people who are looking for work, who don't really know how to dress for an interview. God may well be testing you to discover how you will treat people who don't have maybe your business savvy or your resources or your background. Will you reach out to the hand that reaches out to you? Will you take a moment to teach rather than criticize? Or will you be more like Bildad and fly off the handle? God has forgiven your sins of the past. How will you serve him today? In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. Here's another mission blog update shared from wells.net. This post was first published on January 6 of 2014. Do it in me. John Holtz serves as a missionary in Malawi, Africa. Holtz writes about the life story of the Malawian pastor Stanley Dolly. You can often see Stanley Dolly carrying a Bible, walking to church, going to meetings, teaching Bible stories, conducting confirmation classes, sharing scripture lessons with the youth. In his hands are the Holy Scriptures. I wasn't surprised when Stanley told me his most favorite work in the full-time ministry. I love Bible study and preaching, and it shows. You can see it on his face and hear it in his voice when he is in front of a class or congregation. His quick smile and wonderful sense of humor endears the people to him immediately. Over the years, Stanley has committed many of the verses of the Bible in his hands into the recesses of his heart. 
Stanley has the ability to pull out appropriate passages and apply them as the situation calls for them. For nearly five years now, Stanley has been a faithful and effective pastor. Truth be told, however, Stanley didn't always carry the scriptures, neither in his hands nor in his heart. He admits that at one time in his life, what he did carry was an attitude of indifference to the Lord. To be honest, between ages 12 and 17, I was just growing up like any other child in the village, not bothered about church. It was in the 1990s that Christ called me back. I didn't think of becoming a pastor while I was young. One thing, though, I wanted to work with people, be it as a teacher or social worker. But a lot of people were talking to me about being a pastor. In the year 2000, with the stirring of the Spirit, Stanley finally made the decision that the Lord had been leading him to make all along, to pursue the full-time ministry by applying to the Lutheran Bible Institute. But the Lutheran Bible Institute intake wasn't going to start for quite a while. In fact, it would be many months, or even up to a year, before Stanley would get the opportunity to be tested and qualify. So in the meantime, while waiting for classes to begin, he needed to support himself, so he started his own business. He bought trees, sawed them into planks, sold, and delivered them. Don't think electrified mills, high-powered rotary saws, and delivery trucks. These trees were cut by hand, sawed by hand, and carried on his head. Now, years later, Stanley no longer carries planks on his head for cash. Instead, he carries a passion in his heart for Christ. A passion for preaching and teaching him who was crucified on a tree. Stanley points people to him who carried the burden so heavy that neither Stanley nor you or I could carry. For Jesus, the weight of the cross itself was the light compared to the load of sin, guilt, and shame that came with it. But Christ went to the cross so that we might have peace, true peace, between God and man. In the year 2012, Stanley was also called by two rural congregations in the village to be their vacancy pastor. Stanley accepted the call and sees it as more opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. Stanley also keeps busy with synodical work on the stewardship board, attending professional development classes, and participating in the pastor's group in the central region. I asked Pastor Dolly to name a specific personal prayer request that he had that he felt comfortable sharing. Stanley said, Being a pastor to all people at all times is difficult. Thus, the one prayer request I have is to ask God to do it in me. This has been an update from the Wells Mission Blog. To read more, visit blogs.wells.net slash missions. We'll conclude with a song by Branches Band, I Rejoiced. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Oh,
You've been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 57. This podcast was first shared in February of 2014. We'd like to thank Branches Band for allowing us to share their music. To find more information about Branches Band and other artists who support the meat ministry of the wells, visit canaanboundpodcast.com. We encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for listening. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord.